Hi, everyone, and welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. I'm Lahiro. And I'm Stan. And today we've got a few things going. So we've you know, recently launched the Patreon system. So you know, we'd love to have your support. Um, click onto the link below. And if you want to support us, please do. All of that. So you know, we really want to create a value for, it, for the podcast, but also we realize that we're in a very privileged position. So all funds from that Patreon will be an acknowledgement of the kind of work we're doing for the podcast and for education but every single cent of that will go towards fund a fellow. And this is funding a fellow's training and anesthesia fellow's training in a disadvantaged country or developing country. So that's what we're trying to do. Fantastic. And uh, we've got our first Patreon. So I think we have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge it. We have to yeah. celebrate so this momentous <laughs> moment. Rebecca, that's it. It is Rebecca. Rebecca. So thank you so much, Rebecca. Rebecca just became our first patron and we have to celebrate this momentous occasion. And as we get bigger and as we start producing merch, <laughs> as you can see, I've been listening to uh, other YouTube channels and getting, getting uh, myself with the lingo. You know, I, I might be shooting myself in the foot here, but the thought of merchandise, I just cringe. <laughs> Any, I don't want any t-shirts, caps, t-shirts, caps. Or what's it? What's it? Just a really boring first part physiology topic. Something like transduces our life, <laughs> or you know, <laughs> <laughs> done. That that is a good good gimmick. Symmetry happens. <laughs> Before I launch into uh, perfusion and diffusion limited uh, gases and how that affects you know, respiratory physiology, why don't we launch into our first performance tip? Uh, so, Stan, what do you have for us? So this performance tip I have is really about teamwork and about supporting the others around you to create your own success. And my reflection was on one of the best moments of the Olympic Games, and this was towards the end, and I'm sure everyone has seen it in the, um, in the news. It was uh, the decathlon, and Ash Maloney was coming in third place. And so we're heading into the last race. It's the 1500 meters. And it's well known that this is not Ash's strongest race. And so he just needed to perform at a certain level. Otherwise, the, the fourth and fifth place, if, if they had won, um, they, they could have gone to third and they could have gone to um, third place and, won, and win the bronze. Mm -hmm. So his teammate, Cedric Dubler, who had no chance of winning at all, but was a much stronger 1500 meter runner, what he did was he actually paced said um, he actually paced Ashley all the way through. And there was an iconic photo, or in fact, iconic video that everyone knows about uh, towards, just towards about the 300 to 300 meter mark, you could see Cedric just getting into Ash's ear, just telling him just to go for it, to put all his effort into the last, you know, the, the last couple of um, hundred, hundred, two, two, one to 200 meters. And, you know, from that moment, you could see that inspiration that, uh, that Cedric sort of gave Ash and really pushed him to the finish line. And I think, you know, when I look at that and I think about not just, um, not just for our lives, but also, you know, for, for our trainees in, in study groups, mm. I think it's so emblematic of how we should look after one another and how we should support those around us. And words of encouragement really creates success around others and it really creates success for us too mm. 
so that that was like the key message that um, I got out of that. It, it's really one of the you know touching iconic moments. I just love that. Like this is such an important point, um, and I love that you know you, you you get all of these from all of these things, these things from following sport, uh, which is which is really incredible. And there's such uh, there's such great examples because I think in sport is one of the you know one of the realms where they're really it really is a zero sum game. You know, someone is first, second, and third, and so there's this imagine you know massive competitive elements. This person really was. You know, in a, in a sense, sacrificing their you know their performance for, for for someone else, and that's beautiful to see. But the good thing is that, like I think, in the anesthetic world, and you know, doing this exam, it's not a zero sum game. You don't lose by helping someone else. You can only win. Like you know, if you're trying to help someone who doesn't understand physics and measurement as well as you do, by teaching it, you're learning it better. They're learning it better, and then you foster this good spirit and this good community between you and your your study study mates. So that they'll help you on the stuff that you're not so great at as well, and and then hopefully you pass together and you celebrate together and you form these relationships that you'll, you know, just have for the rest of your life. Exactly, hundred percent. That you know the relationships that you get out of this exam, uh, uh, they're with you for life, and you know you form a bond with that person, with the people you study with, because it's you know the blood, sweat, and tears that of one year, almost one year of your life. Mm. Um, that that holds that holds you together so mm. yeah i agree there's competition which is really good it really strives you to be better mm-hmm. but it's also a, that spirit of competition where you help one another mm. and it just improves everyone as a group so how do you how do you inspire this kind of um community or friendly competitive spirit like what are some actions that you could take to try and foster that the the big thing for me is about engagement it's about reaching out and making that step of inclusion. So in other words, when Cedric was running, he didn't have to shout into Ash's ear. He didn't have to go out and paste Ash. This was all done from his own initiative. And I think, you know, for this, for this part one exam, you know, things that we can sort of look at is, you know, the sharing of resources, the sharing of our time. So different people will, will be at different hospitals and there are opportunities that occur at different hospitals and having that ability to get those resources and say, Hey, someone has, you know, offered a tutorial on uh, this topic here, or someone has offered to do a viva or practice exam. I'm going to, I'm going to see whether I can get them to come in, um, get you involved as well. And we can all do it together. And, you know, th- those are sort of the things that, are emblematic of really a good supportive study group. Yeah. I remember within our study group, we had someone who's, you know, really good at timetabling. So I, I, I just didn't know, I, I had so much inertia about getting a study plan, but someone else sorted that out. Another person was really great at teaching and just kind of simplifying things. So I'd often run the, you know, the short answer questions by that person and go, you know, what, what do you think is important about this? Because they were able to just somehow you know, get the crux of that short answer question. Whereas I'm trying to focus on a whole bunch of detail. Like, I, I, you know, I feel like genuinely everyone has a place and a strength, uh, no matter how small it might seem, which, you know, you, you will bring value to the group, you know, whatever it is and be able to share, share a lot of the, these things. You're, you're spot on. Every, everyone's got their strengths. Um, and it's about utilizing that strength and creating that, that group harmony. So you're all, you're always gonna, I think it's very natural. I think within the group, you're going to go, um, oh, Lahiru, he's absolutely brilliant. He just <laughs> understands 
these concepts. And but what you can bring is just that sense of team bonding, that unity. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's as simple as maybe I don't know, as you said, just create creating an organization, creating a timetable, mm-hmm. creating opportunities uh, for others. Yeah, no, that's really good. Now I was thinking, um, even even the kind of things that I guess most of us do, like imagine all the times you've taught someone. So, you know, we, we obviously do a lot of teaching and I think we just really enjoy teaching. It's, it's kind of the thing we like to do. So we do a lot of teaching and it's amazing that even, you know, 10 years down the track, people will remember some of the shoots that we gave or the lessons that we gave or the mnemonics we taught them. And that gives me a little buzz every time, you know, this is just us doing something that we enjoy. Maybe we did a shoot on, you know, perioperative medicine or whatever. And someone goes, yeah, remember that mnemonic? Every anesthetist really loves morning coffee. Yeah, I still use that. And, uh, and it, you know, it gives you a little buzz that someone remembers, you know, or, you know, I remember lots of other mnemonics or, you know, helpful study hints from other people and go, oh yeah, you taught me that. Awesome. Thanks it's so much. Laugh, morning. It's, t- it's time to copyright it, laugh. <laughs> and what, what, is, what is this morning coffee? Just quickly. Oh, so the preoperative cardiovascular evaluation guidelines yeah, uh, okay. from the ACCHA. So, Always yeah. willing to learn. So yeah. I took you go through this. And this is just for my benefit. It's not for any anyone's benefit outside on listening on this podcast, just for my benefit. And then once once we've done that, we'll uh, we'll go through the question. Okay. Yeah, okay, here we go. So <laughs> so you know how the, the it's a pretty messy flowchart in the 2014 guidelines. There's yeah. a whole lot, lot of things going, but essentially it's emergency, in active cardiac condition or acute coronary syndrome. Yes. Low risk operation, metabolic equivalence, and then you know, will testing change further management? So emergency elective is every. Yes. Uh, acute coronary syndrome, active cardiac condition is anesthes, every anesthes. Yes. Loves, so that's, is it low risk? Yes. L, loves, and then M is METS, morning. And then will it change management or consider testing change management is C, coffee. And wow. um, it's nice. just, you know, this is something I, I think about every, every day, really, because every yeah. time I get a case, I'm like, oh, is, is this for testing or is it not for testing? Is it low risk? And they're not having a active cardiac condition. Therefore, that's fine. They can proceed with their cataract, even though they've got any NYHA3 heart failure and severe OSA and whatever else. And okay. I, yeah, I find what, it really What hard. a great mnemonic. Oh, cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Last mnemonic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those times that, you know, most, most of my mnemonics are terrible. They're just a bunch of letters together, but this one actually made sense. You know, it's every niece does love morning coffee. It's you know true. I, I still, I still remember paint BC from your renal talk. So. <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, so let's go ahead with um, discussion about perfusion and diffusion limitation. So this was a, question in 2003 Mm -hmm. and the question is explain the difference between perfusion limitation and diffusion limitation in the transfer of gases between alveolus and the pulmonary capillary outline the factors that determine whether gas transfer is perfusion or diffusion limited great Mm -hmm. so what is perfusion limited and what is diffusion limited yeah so i found that these definitions could get unnecessarily tricky and you know can end up using a lot of words trying to get it across so i tried to make it the most brief definition possible so for perfusion limited i said it's just blood flow in the capillary determines the rate of transfer of gas blood flow in the capillary determines the rate of transfer of gas and then for diffusion limited i would probably do something like you know it's described by fick's law where flow is proportional 
to area over thickness multiplied by D, which is solubility over the square root of molecular weight, multiplied by the pressure difference or P1, P2 or P1 take away P2. And it's where the so diffusion limitation is that where the transfer is dependent on the properties of the gas and those of the diffusion barrier. So blood flow in the capillary does not determine the rate of transfer of gas. And so that I, I, I tried, yeah, try to yeah. just get as simple a definition as possible, even though it can be a bit of a complex kind of, kind of topic. Well, I think you're right in terms of, it can get quite complex. And I, and I like what you've done in terms of just simplify it. Um, and in terms of just using the, the words itself to help actually prompt you in terms of what the, what the uh, definition is. So mm -hmm. as you sort of said, with perfusion, you think about blood and with limited, you think about what limits it. So, you know, it's, it's the blood flow that, that limits the amount of uh, uptake of the gas and same with diffusion. So I, I think that's really clever in terms of what you've done with the definitions. What's fixed law? Yeah, I mean, so we, we fixed law is just one of those laws that, you know, I think you'll invoke fixed law and Hagen-Purcell equation and a few others constantly throughout uh, your, you know, first part learning and your SAQ practice. But fixed law, I mean, it really will. It this is how we can, I guess, frame this question. So basically, what are the factors that determine whether a gas will be perfusion or diffusion limited? You can pretty much talk through fixed law, and that could be your mnemonic right there. If you can sort out the parts of that, you can probably talk through this reasonably well. Um, the next part of my answer will probably go into talking about specific gases, because then it gives it some clinical relevance. So, you know, what's fixed law? It's area over, so, you know, flow rate of flow is proportional to area over thickness. And so that's really talking about, you know, the alveolus area, the, um, you know, pulmonary capillary to the alveolus interface. And that's, you know, really large in the lungs, you know, it's 50 to hundred square meters, or is it the size of a tennis court or something like that? Um, and the thickness is very small. So was it 0.3 micrometers or something, you know, very, very thin. It really allows for transfer to happen very quickly. So area over thickness times solubility of the square root of molecular weight and the molecular weight will change depending on the gas. Uh, but the solubility does change remarkably uh, as does the pressure differentials depending on what we're talking about. So let's just, you know, talk through those factors. I mean, solubility, if it's got low solubility, it's slow transfer across the membrane. And often that will make it perfusion limited. But if it's high solubility, you might have rapid transfer and it can be perfusion limited if, it, if it's got a high rate of echlorobation, but it might also cause diffusion limitation, even if it's high solubility, if there's a very slow rate of echlorobation. So I'm thinking nitrous has high solubility, it rapidly passes through the membrane and it has a high rate of equilibration, so it's perfusion limited, but in a carbon monoxide, it, it also rapidly transfers, but then it binds very tightly with hemoglobin. So it doesn't really get to that equal, equilibration state. And so it's diffusion limited. Mm -hmm. and, and I really want to um, highlight uh, the fact that you said equilibration. And I think that that will actually help a lot of trainees actually understand mm. whether a gas is perfusion or diffusion limited. So as Lars said, and um, I'll sort of repeat it again, for gases that are perfusion limited, the, the gas in the alveolus will, will reach equilibrium with the gas in the pulmonary capillary. And then for gases that are diffusion limited, you actually don't get equilibration. So in other words, the gas in the alveolar is always more than the gas in the uh, pulmonary capillary. Uh, mm -hmm. So I really like that. I really like the, the fact that you focused on uh, equilibration. And, and I think that will give 
trainees a clue on, in terms of whether a gas is perfusion or diffusion limited, especially when you think about the changes that oxygen can uh, can happen between the, the, the two. Yeah, great. Uh, I like that. And so then we can talk about the properties of the blood gas membrane. That's really, you know, the fact that thickening of a membrane can slow diffusion of oxygen and can change oxygen from being perfusion limited to diffusion limited. So think of any thickening of the alveolar membrane and that will change the, you know, the, the ability of oxygen uh, to diffuse. So now you can go from a good state, which is perfusion limited, that's a normal state, to diffusion limited, which is abnormal. The next one, how much, so th this is what we were just referred to briefly before, how much gas is bound to other things in the blood, like hemoglobin? So for example, we mentioned that carbon monoxide, there's many ways that carbon monoxide becomes toxic, but one of those ways is tightly binds to hemoglobin. And, and so the rate of equilibration uh, of the partial pressure is really, really slow. Nitrous is minimally bound. And so it gets to that equilibration state much quicker and it's perfusion limited. So the next part, the final part of the, that you can mention in fi the fixed law of diffusion equation is a partial pressure gradient or the driving pressure. And this makes a lot of obvious sense. If there's a large pressure difference, then you will have you know faster diffusion across the barrier. But say you have a situation of altitude. So suddenly at altitude, now your oxygen partial pressure in your alveolus is a lot lower. So potentially it's 50 millimeters mercury and down and um, you know in the venous system it might be 20. Therefore, now diffusion occurs far slower and oxygen may become diffusion limited. The final thing to mention then is the transit time to blood. So that's obviously not in fixed law of diffusion, but something you need to mention because normal transit time is really quick. So it's, you know, the transit time of a red blood cell through that pulmonary capillary is you know three quarters of a second, 0.75 seconds. And this can be decreased in exercise. So you know, it can be decreased by you know, it's, you know, it's two thirds really. So now it can be you know, one quarter of a second or 0.25 seconds. And as oxygen is normally fully equilibrated when that red blood cell has traveled a third of the way along the capillary, it, it's not usually perfusion. It's not, it doesn't usually become diffusion limited just with exercise, but imagine there's something else going on. And then if you combine any of these other factors together, suddenly a perfusion limited gas like oxygen can become diffusion limited. You know, if you combine exercise with altitude or exercise with thickening of the blood gas membrane or some change in the partial pressure drive, Things can change from perfusion, which is a good state for oxygen, to diffusion limited. The fact to point out is that this is really specific to oxygen and mm. because its diffusion is also not just dependent on its solubility in blood, but also with its solubility through its reaction with hemoglobin. Mm. So it, it has to react with hemoglobin and the time that it takes is going to be within that sort of, as you said, that, that, that capillary transit time. So if that is reduced for any reason, and especially with a lower partial pressure, that's going to change oxygen from perfusion to diffusion limited. Excellent. All right. So what are some examples? And this will really help with trainees sort of understand this further. Yeah, that's right. So fortunately, as you talk through all those principles above, you can probably put in some of these examples as you talk through. But if I've got extra time in this SAQ to just you know really state clearly what each gas is perfusion or diffusion limited. I think that's, that's always an advantage. So what are some examples? Carbon monoxide, it's diffusion limited. It tightly binds that hemoglobin. So there's very little rise in partial pressure. And so there really isn't any time to 
reach equilibration. So it is diffusion limited. Then we have nitrous oxide, as we mentioned before, it's very, you know, very soluble, rapidly equilibrates across the blood, across the, uh, into the blood. And, you know, that pressure equilibrates very quickly. So it is perfusion limited. Um, so apparently it's about a 10th of the way along the capillary. So oxygen, a quarter, you know, a quarter, what is it? A third of the way nitrous oxide, a 10th of the way along the capillary. So it equilibrates very quickly. And again, that is perfusion limited. You have oxygen, which is also perfusion limited and lies somewhere between carbon monoxide and nitrous. Uh, and it's, you know, only takes a third of the way to become equilibrated. It is reasonably fast, you know, reasonably rapidly soluble. Um, but again, it can become diffusion limited with other problems. Like we mentioned disease altitude, you know, increases the diffusion barrier and lack of that partial pressure gradient. And, and, and so, and so there's one more gas that, um, trainees often bring up. And it's from a question, I think, in the 1990s. And the question relates to CO2 and whether the um, the gas CO2 is either perfusion or diffusion limited. And initially, whenever I saw the question, I thought maybe this was an error. Maybe they meant carbon monoxide. Mm. But I really do think that reading the examiner's report, they actually do mean carbon dioxide. So so what are your thoughts on that? Because I've got, I've, got, I've got my thoughts and I, I spent... I spent... <laughs> unnecessary long time uh, <laughs> about this but uh, I, want to, I want to hear your thoughts and, and then uh, I'll, I'll put my my sort of two cents in i'd expect no less and i hope that i don't <laughs> i hope that we don't contra contradict each other too much but i, I think I mean, we might <laughs> i mean the, the first thing is that perfusion diffusion limitation really refers to you know gases as they're moving in to the bloodstream, not really out. So it's all—it's already a bit weird. Like I'm not a respiratory physiologist, but I, but I believe that by talking about carbon dioxide, you're really outside the definitions that we've normally talked about. That said, if you could somehow be a bit tricky with your language, and you know, you can you know use the same principles but just reverse them. You know, you'd still talk about area and thickness. You think about the solubility of this gas. It's 20 times more soluble than oxygen. Um, and then it's association with compounds that, you know, may or may not, you know, cause that partial pressure gradient to increase or decrease. Uh, because, you know, as we know, CO2 is highly you know, bound uh, or carried in the blood, not just as diffused as, uh, you know, in this diffused state, but also as carbamino compounds and bicarb. So when you look at a graph of the, um, I, I guess the, of, of CO2 equilibrating across the capillary, it looks slightly. So I'm just going to look at the graph now and it probably equilibrates a lot, about a third of the way across the, the pulmonary capillary. So it's similar to oxygen. So if you were to extrapolate that, you could call it perfusion limited in its ability to diffuse the other way across, uh, across the barrier from capillary into the alveolus. But again, similar things would apply if you've got a you know, change in disease states and potentially exercise causing faster transit of that red blood cell, maybe this could become diffusion limited. What are your thoughts, Dan? Are we going to disagree? So, actually, listening to you now, yeah, I, I think you've actually touched on a lot of the major points which cause a bit of contention. Um, and the first thing, as you sort of pointed out, is that carbon dioxide is exhaled and not inhaled. And, and then the other thing that you pointed out, which I, which I also really like, is that if you actually look at the that the equilibration. So the equilibration of the pulmonary capillary gas does often equilibrate with the gas inside the alveolus. Because remember in, um, in the Bohr equation, 
we do substitute using NCOVS modification, alveolar CO2, or sorry, arterial CO2 for alveolar CO2. Mm -hmm. So immediately there's that assumption that, that they equilibrate. So we know that from what we talked about before, that with regards to um, the equilibration of gases, if you get equilibration of gases, you can off, you will often describe it as perfusion limited. Whereas if there is a um, difference between the alveolar gas and the primary capillary gas, you can say it's diffusion limited. Now, the, the thing that makes it complex is the rate of transfer, okay? Mm -hmm. So we know that the rate of transfer is not just diffusion, it's not just diffusion or perfusion limited, it's also ventilation limited. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you were to increase your ventilation, the amount of transfer of CO2 that you can achieve will actually increase. So and, and that's that was literally and that's literally changing your partial pressure gradient, the driving force. Yeah, yeah. That's right. and, and sort of pushing it out. And and so that's just the idea that I sort of came about in terms of that CO2 is it's not just perfusion or diffusion limited, it's actually ventilation limited. And there's actually a there's actually a lot of complexity involved as well, because if if in the initial phase um, that you know you don't get enough uh, ventilation, then you sort of mentioned it as well in terms of <clears throat> there's also the, the buffering of CO2, then you also get compensation and correction of CO2. Because remember that CO2 is a, is a metabolic gas. It's mm. being produced, but it's also being buffered, compensated and corrected as mm. well. So th there's a lot of forces um, that are into play. And, and lastly, in your point, in terms of the diffusion um, impairment, you're right. Because CO2 is 20 times more soluble, it's only with very, very severe disease that you would see diffusion impairment um, affect CO2 diffusion. Mm -hmm. and, and, that, and, that, and that has to be very, very severe disease. Otherwise, the most likely cause of a difference between the pulmonary capillary gas CO2 and the alveolar gas CO2 is going to be dead space or hypoventilation. Yep. But otherwise, yeah, I, I think you really touched on the key the key concepts, and um, I, I actually yeah, I agree with it. Good. And and I, and I like that you've gone down that rabbit hole, and you know I can imagine you maybe spend a few hours to you know synthesize this information, and yeah, hopefully maybe a few days, but uh, few days, yeah. Don't mention how much time I <laughs> that's right. have thought about this uh, concept. <laughs> that means that hopefully the listener doesn't have to go down that rabbit hole because. Uh, Dr. Stan here has, you know, had, well, kind of looked down it. And, uh... Yeah, look, I look. There's only one textbook which touches on it, and it's West. But but West, he himself is n like. There's only like about four or five lines from memory about this. So there's not. There's actually not enough to write a page on um, whether CO2 is perfusion or or diffusion limited. But suddenly, I think if you put those key concepts in, in terms of how. Um, the primary capillary gas equals the primary alveolar gas, you could make the argument that CO2 is perfusion limited rather than diffusion limited, except in very, very severe diseases. Mm -hmm. If we were to get more clinical, how do we measure diffusing capacity? Yeah, good. So as I was going through this for my respiratory lectures, I thought, you know, this, this is the way, you know, you say you're absolutely smashing this viva or, you know, doing really well in the short answer and have and, you know, the ability to write a lot. This would be something else that would 
they could ask you. That's quite practical. It's clinically relevant. Um, and it's also something that we just see constantly on, you know, lung function tests. But until, you know, I studied respiratory physiology, I didn't think too much about it. So, you know, what's the definition of diffusing capacity? It's actually this, you know, this term DL. And DL is just rearranging that fixed law of diffusion. So if you remember, you know, the, the, the diffusion or the volume of the gas transfer is proportional to area on thickness times solubility over the square root of molecular weight. Those things aren't that easy to measure, especially area and thickness. So, you know, the lung is very complex. It's very hard to measure those components. So why not just use that as your, you know, the thing that you're trying to measure. So if you rearrange the equation, you can just put A over, A over T times D to one side. And now you have DL equals A on T, area on thickness, times solubility of molecular weight. And that equals the volume of gas transferred over the pressure difference. And that's diffusing capacity. And that's the term that you'll see constantly on your lung function tests. And as we mentioned before, and Stan, Stan was alluding to before, it gets really interesting because how are we possibly going to measure this? And they realized back in the day that it's very difficult to measure it oxygen because you need to measure through assumptions and averages what your pulmonary capillary oxygenation is. So it's really difficult to measure this with oxygen because you can't measure the it's accurately the back pressure or the um you know the, the pressure gradient with oxygen. But we do have a gas that you can do this with because carbon monoxide has very very low partial pressure in, in, in blood because it combines so readily and with such high affinity to hemoglobin that you could literally just use the partial pressure of alve alveolar carbon monoxide and you wouldn't need to get the, the, um, the, 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 the capillary carbon monoxide pressure. So how do you measure this? So you want to get the volume of carbon monoxide transferred and then you want to know its pressure and literally dividing those two will give you DL or diffusing capacity. Now we won't need to really go through a lot of the ways you can do it. I think there's, you know, there's a couple of methods. The single breath method is the one that I, that I you know, wanted to know for my exam, a single inspiration of a dilute mixture of carbon monoxide, 0.3%. And then you measure the rate of disappearance from alveolar gas during a 10 second breath hold. And then you measure, you measure the inspiratory and expiratory concentration of carbon monoxide with an infrared analyzer. And then you, you might also need to measure helium uh, use helium to measure lung volumes. And then you get this normal value of about 25 mils per minute per millimeter mercury. And that's what you're looking at as your normal diffusion capacity. No, great. And so how does uh, DLCO changes with some other physiological conditions? Yeah. So imagine, uh, if you get, if you get any kind of problem with your area, you know, the barrier, the diffusion barrier, then you, you will get a you know, decrease in your diffusing capacity, but also just through exercise, you'll actually get an increase. And so with exercise, you get an increase of about two to three times this diffusing capacity, because now you've got recruitment and distension of pulmonary capillaries. Um, and that would in aid in that diffusion across the, across the membrane. So going on from the idea that um, with exercise, there's an increase in cardiac output, which increases the, the, your diffusing capacity. It also happens in patients with obesity. So obesity patients, obese patients have high cardiac output states. And then you actually see an erroneously high DLCO in, the, in these patients. Hmm. And then the, the other um, scenario that you'll see, you'll see a thing called DLCO corrected. Hmm. And this is what you were talking about before hmm. with the idea that hemoglobin actually affects solubility. Hmm. So 
what DLCO correct it does is that it corrects it for hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, in patients with um, anemia, you'll actually see DLCO reduced. Mm-hmm. And in patients with polycythemia, you'll actually see your DLCO normal. Mm-hmm. So you'll, what happens is that with patients with hypoxic respiratory disease, with let's say severe diffusion impairment, one of the mechanisms uh, that the body sort of responds to that is through polycythemia, mm. is through increasing your red, your red blood cells in order to increase O2 carriage. And that would be in like every patient with COPD you have doing the lung function tests. They would yeah. look normal because they've- they normal often got, because of yeah. their high hemoglobin. You yeah. know? And, and so what, what the test does is that it corrects it for the high hemoglobin and actually shows that there is pathology there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I think, uh, I think we can probably wrap it up there. So, I mean, in summary, diffusion versus perfusion limitation, I just structured that with a, a definition as quickly as I could get it out because I don't want to be too complex in defining these things. I want to be able to remember it in the heat of the moment in the exam. I'll then work through fixed law of diffusion to then try to address each of those factors, mentioning how we would make something diffusion or perfusion limited, also mentioning transit time through the alveolus. And then finally, just going through each of the gases carbon monoxide, nitrous oxide, oxygen, and maybe even carbon dioxide. Um, and then we just went through diffusion capacity and how we measure that and what, what are the concepts there and how it's affected. So I think that's a pretty good summary and probably, yeah, about, about all we need to talk about. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Again, please share and subscribe. And if you'd like to support us uh, at our Patreon, it's just um, in the link below. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next time.